Welcome back to another episode of the Breaking Barriers Basketball Podcast. Once again, my name is Coach Daniel Diaz. Uh, thank you again for joining us. We appreciate all the love we've gotten since our past couple episodes, and we're so thankful for the continued support from all of you. In today's episode, I have former Virginia Tech and NFL wide receiver Joshua Morgan. I met Josh a few years ago when he was training at Explosive Performance with one of my mentors, Reese Gully, and I was new to the strength and conditioning industry. I was able to help Reese out with, uh, with Josh's workouts, and I got to know him pretty well from those workouts and those post-workout basketball runs we used to do. Um, as I've gotten to know him through the years, he is one who truly inspired me to want to get this organization going. From his values to his work ethic, and most importantly to what he does for his community even to this day, post-football. In our conversation, we talk about how sports have made him who he is today, along with some trips down memory lane from growing up in D.C. to his football career. Um, there were times we had connectivity issues, so just bear with us in the, the best way you can um, during our conversation. So with that being said, let's get to my conversation with Joshua Morgan. Thanks for joining me, Josh. I appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to sit down and chat with me today. Um, how's everything been going? How are you and the family doing during this pandemic? Man, thank you for having me, first and foremost, man. I love everything you've been doing since I met you, man. Always a stand-up guy, so I definitely want to thank you. Thank you so much. You know, I appreciate everything you're doing for the youth and everybody. Mm -hmm. um, as far as the pandemic has been going, um, you know, we've been maintaining, man. We've been through a lot through this little pandemic, you know. Mm -hmm. Right when the pandemic happened, I had to, you know, do a, go through a kidney transplant with mm -hmm. my brother, brother kidney. Mm -hmm. So... So um, the pandemic actually came at a perfect time because, you know, they gave us um, like the eight weeks to heal and all that. So mm -hmm. it, it could have been a better time as far as that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that was a blessing. And um, everybody else, you know, everybody still got their job. You know, my son had to do, of course, the distance, distance learning. And mm -hmm. It just worked out perfect. Yeah. Everything worked out perfect, you know. Got it. Um, and I was going to touch on that for listeners who are unaware, um, a few months ago, while like the early stages of, of COVID, um, Josh donated one of his kidneys to his brother who was in need of one, um, after finding out that he was a match. Um, how's your brother doing? Man, he's doing great. That's awesome. <laughs> he immediately, like the doctor said, his skin, like he immediately started, like reflections are changing. He immediately started feeling better and everything. The doctor said they never seen nothing like it. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, that's great, man. It was such a blessing to see, you know. And it's just even now, just seeing him actually, you know, able to run around and play mm. with his little girl. He got a little mm. old daughter, and he got a thirteen-year-old. So just to see him actually have his energy, and he like he looks like my brother again. You know, that's what I'm awesome. Saying? Yeah, for sure. It was a, definitely a blessing. For sure. Um. So. Um. Now that you're uh, retired from the NFL, what what has life been like post football, and what ha what has kind of like taken the void out of your life that has replaced football per se? Um, well, life has been great. As far as my body feels amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so life has been great as far as that. Um, the only thing, one thing you can never get back after playing at such a high level and playing in the NFL for that long. Mm -hmm. Um, you can't, it, it's very, very hard to find a competition though. Mm. Like competition. 
Like, I done played in summer leagues. Mm-hmm. You know, I done did a lot of stuff, you know, <laughs> just try to, try to, you know, get that itch, that competition itch. But yeah. nothing, nothing will ever compare to that. So I would say that's the only thing I miss is the mm. competition. Just knowing that, man, you getting ready to play the best of the best every Sunday. Yeah. You know, that whole preparation process and that whole grind, you know. So um, that that's probably the only thing that I miss the most. Mm-hmm. And as far as what I use to fill that void, I just try to, I try to teach the game, and I I, I just try to pour into the youth. Yep. You know, I really try to use them to just look, man. There's so many life lessons that this game can teach you, mm-hmm. and you know, the basketball, sports, period. Mm-hmm. You know you so many life lessons and can take you so many places and you can see the world and experience the world in such an amazing way just from playing the same sport you've been playing as a child mm-hmm. i think that's what you know fills that void for me just you know pouring into these kids and and and, and you know it's like when, when that switch goes off when you can actually see the switch go off for them and actually see them mm-hmm. finally get it mm-hmm that's the touchdown. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah, I love that. So, you know, awesome. I think that that's what I really use to fill that void. Mm-hmm. So so as as I've gotten to know you these past few years, I mean your bond with your family is like very few out there. Uh I mean to be honest, myself being a Filipino, family and loyalty is just a like a huge part of our culture. And you are one of the very few like non-Filipinos I've ever met um, who would do anything for his family as well. So how did the principle of essentially uh, family over everything become such an integral part of your life? I think that became so integral to me because I so many people, mm-hmm. you know, and just from a young age, you know, all five of my best friends are dead, you know, gun violence, mm-hmm. you know, just losing so many people. And, and 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 the fact that you know growing up, and and don't get me wrong, but you are you, 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 a lot of people don't know. A lot of people probably do know what it feels like to have a lot of relatives, but not have no family at all. You get mm, what I'm saying? Mm, yes. You know what I'm saying? Yes, and that's yes. what and that's what really, and that's what my case was. Like I got so many relatives. Like we <laughs> deep, you know, yeah. from all up and down the East Coast, Midwest. South and the West Coast, you know, yeah. we deep, but you know, just growing up and never really, never really being the family that you know. I used to watch the the Cosby Show, and not to bring up Bill Cosby, and you know, but <laughs> I, used, I used to watch the Cosby Show, and I used to be like, man, I wish you know we could be like that, and you know, I used to watch Fresh Prince and things like mm. that, and I used to always just wish that you know that was my family, but mm-hmm. so I think. Not having it made me cherish it that much more. If you get what I'm saying, yeah, no, for sure. I can't lose you, but I think not having it, like growing up, and you know, my parents divorced, and my mother took my two little brothers, probably like an hour away up in Marlboro, and I was still in D.C. And you know, just not being able to see them every day, and not being able to go to their games, and mm. just not having the family that I wanted mm. made me understand the morals and the values like man when it's my turn when i'm grown oh that's all i'm about yeah, you know wow. that's yeah. all i'm gonna do you wow. know family first mm-hmm. because you know, your family is who god puts put in your life you know to love mm-hmm. you to love you unconditionally and then that's just 
that's just what I always been about, man. So it came from me not having a family I wanted, me losing all the closest people to me. And on the flip side, me wanting and having the urge to teach the younger generation, like to teach my cousins, my niece and my nephews, mm-hmm. nephews, nieces, and you know, all my odd children and just teaching them like what this family thing really is about. Mm. I mean, not to get too deep, but you know, no, it's, I love it. People that did raise me, you know, nobody, the closest people to me in my life right now aren't even my blood. Mm. You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the only person that's really close to me that's my blood is my brother Daniel and my brother Adam. Mm-hmm. Uh, Adam been in the Navy and he been shipped out and deported so much that, I mean, deployed so much that he just like, you know, <laughs> it's hard to, you know, maintain that relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, the closest to me, that's my blood. I'm my brothers. Everybody else, not even my blood, but they're my family. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they all all of them know, man, I, I've always been a sacrificial lamb mm-hmm. for my family. Everybody I love, you know, for everybody I love, I'm going to be the one. Because there's always been something in me since a child, since I was like five or six. That it was just like, I'm going to be, new. you know, yeah. you know I, whatever, I sacrifice whatever, I go through whatever. And mm-hmm. I'll go through the pain and I'll, I'll punish and I'll all the time just so you don't have to, and so mm-hmm. you could be good. Mm-hmm. I saw yes, I saw a quote by a coach on Twitter recently that said, "Family isn't who you're related by blood; it's who you bleed for." And that's kind of exactly what you're talking about. And I mean, you did exactly it with donating your kidney and and having the people you're just talking about that maybe they're not related to you by blood, but the one that you would essentially bleed for is who you consider your family as well. Yeah, I agree. That's mm-hmm. perfect. <laughs> so you kind of you kind of touched on it um, as far as living in D.C. Um, so what was it like growing up in D.C. and um, what did you have to go through that most people might take for granted or, or actually like overlook? So what did I have to go through growing up that most people uh, might take advantage of or overlook? Yeah. I think most people who get, um, first and foremost, most people forget how small D.C. really is because they group D.C., Maryland, and Virginia together. Mm-hmm. And when DMV. you do that, it's so many people. Mm-hmm. But actually growing up in D.C., like actually growing up in Southeast D.C., is, you know, people forget how small D.C. really is. Mm-hmm. Small, overpopulated, you know. Mm-hmm. And, um, what I don't think people understand is, I want to say the competitive drive that mm. just, you just have to. It's like you just have to have it, you know. You know, growing up in high school is like, man, you even gonna compete or you gonna get walked over. Yep. You don't want to get walked over, and that's in everything though. Not even just sports, you know. Wow. That's that's in everything. That's in that's in the classroom, mm-hmm. you know. That's in that's in your fashion, <laughs> you know. <laughs> That's in that's in everything. That's in what you eat. <laughs> you know, it's just in everything, you know. And just the competitive drive, just man, you know. Mm-hmm. Everywhere you go, you playing against the best of the best. You playing against somebody that's probably gonna go to a D one school, mm-hmm. or you know, every time you're in the classroom, you competing against. You know, you try and do better and get better grades than somebody that's going to get a full academic scholarship, mm-hmm. you know, and it's things like that. You just like, and, and, and it's not everybody. I'm not going to say everybody came from poverty, but mm-hmm. I just know 
I was one of those ones that man, if I would have had to pay for college, I would have never went. There was <laughs> yeah, no way. For sure. You know, so it that whole just that nature just from a child. You know, like I said, you just doing stuff. Elementary school playing class, you try and get every answer. The next man try and do it too. And then y'all go from competing in the classroom to oh now it's recess. Now you want you know, score the most touchdowns, make the most shots and you know, just go from that to, oh, man, you ate two lunches. I'm going to eat three lunches. You know? <laughs> it was just constant, constant competitive. And it was just like, man, you know. So I think that right there alone just took my competitive drive to another level. And people just don't understand. Like, it's so much talent in this city. Mm-hmm. And, and, like, a lot of places, they just never made it out because, you know, even succumb to streets, gun violence, jail, mm-hmm. you know, or they just, you know, end up losing their life or going a different route. Yep. Exactly. I think that's one thing people really take for granted, man. Mm-hmm. Especially when you add Maryland and Virginia to the equation. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you probably seen that show they just did with Katie and It's mm-hmm. in the War. PG, yeah. You know, PG Kelly. Oh, man. And yeah. just imagine if they did it for football, you know, just in D.C. alone is so many that made it out from D.C. D.C. public schools at that. Yeah, yeah for Dude, real. I can name three D.C. public schools, and you got Josh Cribs, you got Vernon Davis, you got Vontae Davis, you got Aurelius Ben, you got mm. my, you got Tavon Wilson, you know, you just got, and that's just two D.C. schools, and that ain't even a half of it. Yeah, that's crazy. No, this is D.C. public schools. Mm-hmm. Wow. Like I said, add Maryland and Virginia to the equation, man. It's just so much competition there. Mm-hmm. It's be like you, man. It just make you feel like you could take on the world. <laughs> but for real, every day you're going against the best of the best. That's so true. Like, I go see somebody from Cali or I go see somebody from Texas. It's like, man, what? This is? <laughs> So I've told you this multiple times uh, that you're one of the main individuals and athletes that I've ever met that has given so much to their community, um, whether it was during your playing days or even today. Um, and you really opened my eyes in understanding that uh, these athletes are more than just kind of what you see on TV. Um, and you guys are human beings that you guys have the ability to use your platform to help your community. Um, and I wanted to get you on this podcast because you were such an inspiration to me and, and a huge role model of mine since we, we met a few years ago. And you've indirectly played a huge part in this in this process of making my organization, um, which essentially is centered towards what you've been doing your whole life. Um, so with all that being said, what has what what has driven you uh, into wanting to give back to your community after all these years? Man, I would probably say the same thing. Man. I probably because I was one of those ones like. I know growing up, I wish somebody would have helped me, mm. you know, more than they, mm. more than I was helped. Yeah. I wish somebody would have did things for me. Mm-hmm. I wish I could touch, you know, somebody that played for the Redskins, like mm-hmm. an Art Monk or a Daryl Green, or, you know, you know, I wish I could touch those people or see those people mm-hmm. in the community and be like, man, you know, I want to do what you do. I want to mm-hmm. go to the NFL, you know, and it was always things like that. And, and again, it came from not having. Mm. I know what it felt like not to have. I know what it felt like to struggle. Mm. I know what it felt like to go to sleep hungry some nights, you know, and not eat. Mm-hmm. I know what it felt like to have to wear the same pair of shoes 
you know, for two years straight. <laughs> you know, I know what it feel like to have to wear the same five pair of jeans all year. Mm-hmm. You know, I know what it feel like. Mm-hmm. I know what it feel like to wear the same white T-shirt to school three, four days in a row and then somebody finally catch on <laughs> and, and take a little marker and, and, and mark your shirt wow. to see if you want to wash it or not. You know what I'm saying? I, I know what it feel like to struggle. Mm. I know what it feel like to, you know, not have that, you know, go home and not have hot water. Mm-hmm. I ain't even have a shower. You know, I ain't even have a shower until I went to college. Wow. You know, we used to bathe in the old slave to. You know, the old porcelain white tub. Mm-hmm. My grandmother was old school. Wow. I didn't even have a shower until I went to college. You know what I'm saying? So it was just situations like that, you know, and just knowing what it felt like and, and seeing, you know, and knowing that I, I can't be the only one going through this, mm-hmm. you know, and just that right there alone, just, you know, I know what it felt like to have to heat the house with the oven. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Things like that. Just, it was just like, man, I know other people you know, probably going through this. And I know when I make it, I'm going to do whatever I can do to help. I'm going to try to do whatever I can do to amazing at anything in this world, but he just don't have no hope because he don't see it. Mm-hmm. Can't touch nobody that did it. He can't touch nobody that did anything. Mm-hmm. When I was growing up, it wasn't nobody that I could touch that, like, was successful that, like, I wanted to be them. I wanted to trade places with them. Mm-hmm. You know, so mm-hmm. I know what that feel like being that kid that, man, I had all types of talent, but man, I, I swear I was one step away from the streets and wanted to give up because mm-hmm. I didn't, I couldn't touch nobody. Mm-hmm. And I think I still try to figure out myself, like, man, what kept me going? Mm-hmm. And I think what kept me going was just proving other people wrong. Like, no, nah, I'm not going to go to jail. No, nah, I'm not going to be in the streets. No, nah, they. Nah, I'm not just going to be locked up and be a statistic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But just knowing what that felt like and just constantly, you know, seeing people and hearing stories and it was just like, nah, man, when I make it, even before I made it, I was doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. elementary school and I only got two dollars for the week. And I and somebody be like, man, I'm hungry. I see somebody or hear somebody say they're hungry at lunchtime and I give them my dollar. I give them my money. You know, like I said, always was the sacrificial man. You know, and it was just like, it was just like knowing that I was like, nah. When I make it, man, I'm gonna try touch. I help everybody I can. I'm gonna, mm-hmm. I'm gonna, you know, growing it. Cause what's more relatable than my story? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Coming from here, so like, I, I was just all Ivory left, which was another one went to my high school and made it out. Orlando Brown, may he rest in peace, mm-hmm. was a you know made it out and i was just like man if i could have but i never met none of them i ain't meet byron oh, until wow. i was already in the wow no i ain't meet orlando till i was already in the league you know but it was just like as far as the youth i was like nah and i and i honestly i'm not gonna lie selfishly i was like man I had to I, it was always in the back of my head like man why should i do anything for this thing when it's it's so hard for somebody like me. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like this city don't really, the city don't support you. They set it up. They set you up to fail. Mm-hmm. And I just had to, you know, transition my thoughts and be like, but it's not about the city. It's about the youth and the people in the city. Mm-hmm. The people in the city, the same people that's going through the same stuff I probably went through. And they just need to, they just need to know the blueprint. Mm-hmm. And that's all I'm trying to do is tell them the blueprint. 
Because it's been the same for me, for Vernon Davis, Davis. It's been the same all the way from Byron Leftwich, all the way, man, all the way to Jonathan Ogden. It's been the blueprint stays the same. The names change. Mm. Mm. So, you know, I think that, that that was part of the reason. Like, I was just man, when it's my turn, it's my turn. I'm going to give back to every chance I get. And that's, you know, I did. You know, I did it at VTech. I did it at San Fran. Won the community boards out there. You know, even had a board out there because of the community I did. You know, did the same thing, man. Man of the year. Redskins, man of the year. You yep. know, just, right, they even made, you know, they, they made my birthday. Mm-hmm. All of yep. I just made it my business to be like, nah, man, because that's selfish of me. If I know the blueprint and I can help you and I got the information, the knowledge, I, I, I know. Mm. And then I'm just going to keep it to myself. I'm just going to save it for my son. My son don't even like football. <laughs> <laughs> my son want to play baseball. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it's just like, you know, that just, it's just selfish, you know, and I just, I've never been a selfish person, man. So like I said, when I, when it was my time, I was just like, nah, mm. I'm a Every kid I touch, because you're not going to change, and, and we just being realistic. You're not going to change everybody. Yeah, mind. for sure. Everybody's not going to get it. Mm-hmm. But as long as one person get, you could be in a room of 500 people. As long as you spark the brain of that one person, mm-hmm. and that light switch come on, and exactly. you inspire them, and they go achieve their dreams and achieve greatness and, and live out their full potential, then you did your part. Exactly, and then they could do the same thing. Yeah, pay it forward. Yeah. Um, so I remember back when you were training with EP, and you kind of touched on this when you were when you were training with EP um, back with Reese, and we would talk about um, some of the y- young up and coming athletes coming out of DC area um, that you had gone to know and mentor. Um, and during our conversations, I mean, I could tell the passion you had and and wanting to be a positive example to them and realizing that they don't have to choose the streets. Like you said, they have the opportunity um, to use sports as their vehicle um, to be in better situations and they just need to be around the right people. And you wanted to be one of them. And I know you kind of say you didn't really have someone, but if you could think, I mean, did you have even just a, um, someone for a little bit as far as growing up um, to help you steer you in the right direction uh, and try to avoid the wrong decisions? Was there anyone that I comes mean, to Yeah, mind? I definitely did, you know. It, it was more so a time where, you know, my father was there. You know, my father was always there. My father was a hard worker. Mm-hmm. You know, I love my father to the death. Mm-hmm. Respect him to death. You know, he's a hard worker. And you know what I'm saying? But I was his first child. Mm. And so, you know, he was learning as I was, exactly. you know, as I was growing, he was learning. <laughs> you know, and at the same time, he didn't know anything about what I was trying to do. You know, mm-hmm. he, 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 he knew that I had to work hard to get what I wanted. Mm-hmm. But as far as the ins and outs, like, you know, the clearinghouse, you know, the, the GPA, he didn't mm-hmm. know anything about the whole recruiting process. Oh, true. He didn't know yeah. anything about any of it, you know? Mm-hmm. So it was just like, and honestly and truly, you know, my father worked hard, but I used to look at him sometimes and I didn't understand. Mm-hmm. I was like, man, God, it has to be an easier way. Mm-hmm. And not not an easier way, but it has to be a way where you can work smart and just working hard all the time. 
Yeah. I felt like my father worked hard all the time. And it was like, at the end of the day, it was like, for what, you know? Mm-hmm. And this was just my mentality back then. It was like, dang, Pops, you go to work every day, all day. You go to work whether you got a car, you don't. You catch the subway, you catch the train. You do all this, catch the butt. You do everything you got to do to go to this job. And we still broke and struggling. And I just couldn't understand that. Wow. You know? Mm-hmm. And that just right there, that just, like I said, that just added to my competitive drive and my competitive yeah. future. Because mm-hmm. it was just like, man, I'm never going to make my pop to this. When I know <laughs> pops are good, you don't, you don't have to. Yep. You know, if you want to, cool, but you don't have to. Mm. Yep. Yep. So it was stuff like that. But um, yeah, a couple of people just along the way. But, you know, my godfather, you know, Patrick Baker, mm-hmm. you know, I played for his AAU team. You know, we used to, he, he, he was one of the main ones that just, between him and my father, they just really tried their best to just keep me on a straight path. So, yeah. You know, he, touched on this um previously as well um and i know you're not one for recognition and accolades isn't something you seek um, but after finally getting recognized for the great things you've done for the dc for dc and its community um the washington dc council officially named june 20th which is your birthday uh joshua morgan day in washington dc so what did that mean to you when they announced that in 2013 and what kind what impact has it had on you today um, I mean, honestly, at first I didn't know what it was all about, but just, you know, seeing the people that we touched, like I used to have a celebrity basketball game every weekend, mm-hmm. and, you know, we did that for a couple of years, and even when we stopped the celebrity basketball game, 
you know, when we did it, it was always fundraising and trying to, you know, give, you know, still give back. Um, and even when we stopped doing it, just it was always like I was trying to give back during my birthday weekend, but also throughout the year as well. Um, but actually having my day, I mean, it definitely meant a lot, you know, because it was like, wow. You know, and, and it was crazy because it was one of those things where it was like, you know, that was like one of my one of one of the few like, man, I made it moments. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You know, you know, I had a couple, you know, throughout my career, but that was that was definitely one of the few because it was like, man, wow, you know, I really, you know, and I think that was the same year I got the Redskins or to pay a man of the year, but mm. it was just like, wow, you know, I really like I did what I said I was gonna do. Yeah. You for know, sure. I think it was it was more so a pride thing, like, man, yeah. Like, you know, I know my I know my best friends, I know my grandfathers, I know they're proud of me because I mm. did exactly what I said I was gonna do. Exactly. I yeah. made it, I didn't forget nobody and I did everything I said I was gonna do. Mm-hmm. So I think that was more what that was about for me. For sure. And that's I mean that's kind of what we've been seeing too, and it's kind of crazy because like, um, with the passing of Kobe recently, you can see like his high school videos saying like, "Hey, I'm gonna make it to the NBA," and like with a stern face, and like that's what his goals was, and um, and kind of crazy, kind of seeing you as far as after your, or even after your football life is seeing it how you were talking about and back in the day is that when you make it, you're gonna be you're going to be helping out the community. And like what you just said, you did exactly just that. So that's, that's pretty, that's pretty awesome. Definitely, man. I'm still torn up Kobe. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, obviously I rarely get to be around professional elite talent like yourself. Um, but aside from talent, um, you're still to this day, if not one of the most hardest working individuals I've ever met in my life. Um, when you would come in and train at EP with Reese, like we were saying before, and we'd chat before you get started, and I'd ask how your day has been so far, and you'd be like, uh, it's been pretty good, just ran some hills and got some work in before this, and I'm like, what? That is so crazy. And then you'd say that all nonchalantly, and then you'd go through another hard workout with Reese, and it was just crazy. You were like, it's, It really was like you were a machine. <laughs> so with all that being said, what, what kept you motivated? What was driving you to put your body and mind through that grind day in and day out? Um, I think the main thing that drive me, like I said, was just knowing that you was going up against the best in the world mm-hmm. every Sunday mm-hmm. and, and, you know, and knowing, you know, knowing what you plan for, knowing your why, you know, and when you know your why, then you don't, you don't, you don't let yourself slack off. You don't let yourself give up. You don't let yourself, you know, even feel no pain. You know, and if you do feel that pain and you, you study, you do your rehab and you do what you got to do to ease that pain. But I think just knowing my why mm-hmm. and just never, I, I, man, I hated failing mm-hmm. and I fail all the time, but I just hated it. And I hated that feeling. Mm-hmm. Like I was that type and you can ask some of my teammates, man, I was man, my rookie year, you know, preseason, preseason. <laughs> Season, Daniel. I'm, <laughs> I'm throwing my helmet and crying first preseason game because we lost. Man. Dang, chill out, really. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But it was just always that, man. I just, man, I hate I was a, I'm not going to say I was a sore loser, but I hated that it. passion, yeah. No, I get oh, it. Oh, I hated losing. Man. You're, felt, you're one of those who, who hate losing more than you enjoy winning. Yeah, honestly. <laughs> 
because it was like when we won, it was like, man, we were supposed to win. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that's what we supposed to do. We, we worked hard all week. We supposed to win. Uh, and when you lose, you're like, oh, my God, what's going on? <laughs> like, I did all this and we still lost. Um, but, yeah, it was more so that, man. And, mm-hmm. I mean, that was just the only way I knew how to work. You know, mm-hmm. that was the only way I knew how to work. Mm-hmm. You know, that's one thing, my like I said, I saw my father do it. And when I saw him do it, he was going to work. He was going from this job to this job. And I was just like, nah. I was like, you know, so I, like I said, it was, I learned some stuff from his mistakes. And there's some stuff I just, I was always a sponge. Mm-hmm. So I tried to learn from people's mistakes as well as, all right, this person do this good. So let me add this to my bag. And this mm-hmm. person did this well. So let me add this. So when it came to me actually working out, like I said, I got drafted and I was like, man, I was like, dang, this my job now? <laughs> I was like, for real? I was like, I get paid to do what I actually love to do anyway. You know? So it was just like, it was it was more so accumulation of just knowing your why, mm-hmm. never giving up, and really just wanting to be one of the best, you know, and, and really just never wanting to let down nobody. Like, I never wanted to let down my family. I never wanted to let down my friends. I never wanted to let down anybody that believed in me and depended on me. And I think that's why I hated losing so much. Because mm. when I lost, it was like, dang, I let everybody, everybody down. Yep. Gotcha. Yeah, so, you know, I think that's where it came from. You know, but definitely, when I used to be with Reese and them, they used to be probably my probably my second or third workout. <laughs> it was and just crazy. And, like, the work, when you would do the work, it didn't look like you did anything before. I'm like, man. That's so wild. <laughs> yeah, it used to be crazy. And then, you know, we still used to play basketball. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, I used to go. That was, that was kind of my routine. Wake up in the morning, get a couple miles in. Because like I said, along the way, you know, you figure out what you like to do. You know, mm. and I actually like the whole boxing process. And, yeah. You know, putting the miles in on the road, getting up early, getting your miles in. So I used to do that. And then I'm always, I'm always faithful to that hill. Mm, Always, right. you know. <laughs> I watched all the Walter Payton videos, mm. all the jerks. I just saw so I, I saw so many people swear by that hill, mm-hmm. and I thought it worked for me because everybody used to always be like, "Man, how your legs get so big and strong? How you so explosive?" Yep. And I remember, man, I had his name was Coach Jackie Johnson, mm-hmm. and between him and Coach Ray Price, when I was at they used to make us run this hill. They used to make us run 50 hills before practice, before 50 practice. hills after practice. And they used to make us yes. all the way from the gate, all the way to the hill and the hill. Run down and run all the way back to the gate. And I swear, like, for me, just doing that as a, as, as a freshman yeah. in high school, for me, just doing that, I was just like, man, I, I see myself go from barely dunking to flying yeah. i thought myself going from you know running to the end zone and having to dive when i get there to running through the back of the end zone mm. in my head like i'm at a track meet <laughs> you know, i just saw the difference between the explosion and everything and it mm. was just like it was just an amazing thing so yeah i used to get up probably six o'clock get them miles in and i used to go to that hill do at least 50 hills and after that, I probably go to Reese, or go box, and then go to Reese. Go box for a couple of hours at the, the little Herndon UFC gym, mm-hmm. and 
and I go to Reese after that, or I switch it and go to Reese first and then go box. Then we play basketball. And then throw some basketball there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then I go do some Bikram yoga. Oh, wow. But, okay. Oh. Yeah, that was it. That was why the... So moving on to, to a little bit of your football career, um, and we'll kind of go uh, start from college as far as at what point growing up did you realize that you're pretty good at football and that you could you have the opportunity to play at the next level? See, that's a great question because one thing about me, Daniel, I thought I was going to be Michael Jordan. <laughs> oh, man. We I were going to touch up on that, that. I bet people didn't realize how great of a basketball player you were or even are to this day, for real. Man, I was not <laughs> thinking about no football, <laughs> I swear. And you know who told me to do it? My grandmother. My grandma was like my best friend in the world. Mm-hmm. May she rest in peace. Mm-hmm. But I swear, she told me, she was like, because everybody was, and this how crazy it was. I'm all over the place, but this how crazy <laughs> it was. She, people, my, I was getting recruited for football. They came to my basketball games to recruit me. Wow. My whole highlight tape, basketball. Because <laughs> I, like I said, I went to I went to Eastern Senior High School, Capitol uh-huh. Hill. Yeah, my uh, my tenth and eleventh grade year. And then, and then I, went. yeah, and then I transferred and went to HD Woodson. But when I transferred, I think I transferred in like July, my senior year. I transferred and they told me I transferred too late to be eligible to play during the season. I had my grades and everything. I always been smart. I always mm-hmm. had like a three point or something. Mm-hmm. Um, they told me I transferred too late. So I had to sit out the whole regular season. Only got to play the two playoff games and the championship game. We beat Vernon Davis and then Dunbar in the championship. Oh damn, yeah, that's cool. That's the only three games I got to play my senior year. Dang. Everything else was ba- I mean basketball. That's crazy. So when it came down to people like asking me like, man, what you gonna do? Because I was getting basketball offers and football offers, uh-huh. but most of my basketball offers was like. Man, D2 or like HBCUs and stuff oh, like that. Okay. You know, all of my football office was like top major D1s. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, I waited too late somehow. Like I said, because I knew nothing about the recruitment process. <laughs> oh, yeah, nobody, exactly. nobody did. <laughs> Luckily, one of my coaches, uh, his name Wayne Johnson, Coach Wayne Johnson, we call him Coach. Luckily, he was like, man. You ever think about going to prep school? And I was like, Coach, how much is it? That, that was always oh, my question. Yeah, exactly. I, was like, hey. I was like, how much is it? What's a prep school? <laughs> and he was like, man, I don't know. But you might not have to pay. And I was like, for real? I was like, all right, let's do it. You know, because at the end of the day, all my, my senior year, all of them, hurt. like most of my senior class got scholarships to D1 schools, or if not D1 schools, you know, top D2s. Jeez. Yeah. I was the only one, so I ended up going to Fort Union Military Academy. Mm-hmm. I drove down there late. It was probably like, I'm probably the second or third week of August. Drove down oh, there. Yeah, that's really Coach John Schumann, Fort Union Military Academy. Now, he made me do like a little tryout, brought probably t- some three or three of his top corners out there, brought the quarterback of the team out there. Cause they was in the middle of training. Mm-hmm. Brought him out there. He was like, "Let me see what you got." And I was like, "What you mean? What you want me to do, coach?" <laughs> <laughs> I 
I because I was still confused, right? So I didn't know he wanted me to play basketball or football. I was like, which one are you talking about? And then he was like, get your cleats on, strap your cleats. I was like, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> so I put my cleats on and I go out there and not man, I just humiliate all three everybody out there. I'm just wow. running past people, making them fall, doing everything. So you know, he was like, Yeah, man, you know, good job. <laughs> you know, Real nonchalant. Yeah. He's funny as hell though. He's like, Good job, man. I think I got some money for you. I think we can work something out. <laughs> <laughs> and next thing you know, I, I went down there and I had, you know, one of my best years playing football. You know, um, awesome. Eddie George went there. I wow. think I broke a couple of his records. Plexico Burris went there. Dang. Vinny Testaverde went there. You know, it was some it was some top guys that went wow. there. I did not know that. And I think I did. I think I did great down there. And after that, every college in the world was on me after that. <laughs> so with that, um, with that being said, how, how did you end up playing at Virginia Tech? I ended up going to Virginia Tech was because they was the first. They they've been talking mm. to me since I was in. Um, I first met Coach Tony Ball who was the wide receiver coach at Virginia Tech. I met him, and they started recruiting me when I was in the ninth grade. Mm, wow. And, <clears throat> yeah, they were, I guess they were the ones, because Tony Ball was the one talking closely with Coach Black, <clears throat> Coach Coach Wayne Johnson at H.D. Woodson, mm-hmm. and handling a lot of recruiting. So he was the one that was like, um, <clears throat> excuse me, he was the one that was like, man, trying to get him in Fort Union. So just because of their loyalty, I guess. Yeah. Them being the first college I talked to for real, them, you know, kind of introducing the whole prep school situation. It was like, it will be messed up on me to be like, well, no, I'm not coming in now. Yeah. Just because all these other schools want me, you know. And I was going to say that's kind of a testament of exactly who you are, pretty much, that, that loyalty. Yeah, definitely. And also on the flip side of it, you know, it was kind of a you know, small incentive that three of my other high school teammates was down there. Ah, okay. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I, was, I was like, well, if they did, you know, they're making it academically, then I'm going to be great. So I'm going to go because I know I'm going to play anyway. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so if you didn't go to Virginia Tech, what was the second option, if you can remember? The state of Michigan. You said what? Florida State or Michigan is what you said? Yeah. Ooh. I was going to put on that number two, just like Dion or Charles. <laughs> to work. Oh, man. Would you have been able to handle that Michigan weather, though? Would, would, you, be, would you be down that with that? It wasn't too much different from D.C. That's true. That, that's yeah, it true. wasn't too much different. <laughs> you know, it probably snowed a little bit more inches, but it wasn't too much different. <laughs> You know, and I had family in Detroit, so I was just like, it was just like, man, you know, I, although I used to go out there and visit them in the summertime, but I was just, I was like, man, just them. I wanted to be like Charles Wilson or Dion. Got you. And uh, I'm just kind of curious. So what made you change your numbers during your career? I know you went from 17 to two. Is that two because of that Dion Sanders or was it just something that was given to you or? Um, well, the 17, I, I, so when I pick numbers, I always try to do 
you know, something that made sense to make it sentimental. So when I put the number on, uh-huh. I'm actually playing for something. Uh-huh. So the 17, um, when I first got to Virginia Tech, I wanted number two, but Jimmy Williams had number two. Mm-hmm. I was number two in high school. Um, but like I said, Jimmy Williams had number two, so I had to wait till he left to get number uh, two. Okay. I had always wore number two, like I said, because of, you know, guys like Aaron Brooks, because of Charles mm. Wilson College, because of Dion in college. Mm. And I also, you know, wore number two because both of my grandfathers had died before they got a chance to see me play sports. Mm. So I wore in honor of them, you know, just showing them like, man, they still with me. This mm. for y'all. You know, just a dedication to them as well. So I always did that. And, um, but yeah, when I got to Virginia Tech, it wasn't no other numbers really available. You know, so I was just like, well, I got 17 letters in my name, so just give me them 17. <laughs> oh, that's crazy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what that was. And the closest, you know, my friends used to live, you know, we live right there on 17th and 8th Street. Wow. It was just like, you know, yeah. that's crazy. Yeah. Um, for me, it, it was kind of, you know, meh. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so kind of still dating back to that, what can you remember from your, that 2007 season at Tech and how it felt winning the ACC championship game over Boston College? Oh, that was amazing, man. You know, and, and that, that whole season, Daniel, that whole season was so instrumental to the the community at that time mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. that season that was the season after the whole virginia tech massacre yep exactly i think at the time or maybe even still was probably the biggest school massacre in history mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so i think you know in the way they the community was after that like it was uh, it was so sad and it was just so dead it was just like yeah. somebody just came through and sucked the life out of the community mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying it was just like it was like, man, you know, it was just a sad situation, you know, because they, they even let us, you know, they, they let us go home early that year. Yeah. They, they gave us the choice to pass or fail. And if you was passing your classes and you was okay with your grades, then you can go home for the summer. Mm. Wow. You know, so they, and, but it was nowhere on campus that you could go and just see people happy. Mm. Everywhere on campus, it was like, it was, you know, memorials and people mm. sad, people crying, people were suicidal, people mm. were scared. And it was like, mm. man, you know, especially me coming from it, I'm like, man, I thought I left the hood. Yeah, you know for sure. Yeah, I'm wow. I'm college to still be ducking bullets and dodging bullets. Yeah. So you know, it was just that type of situation with, man, and that whole summer, like, and I think, our coaching staff did a great job, like Coach Beamer and them. Mm-hmm. They have, you know, because 66 people got injured and 32 people died. Mm-hmm. And they just have some of the people that survived come to the practices. And we used to meet them and talk to them. Wow. Man, it was just, man, that season was so important for Blacksburg and Virginia Tech at that time. Sure. It was like every game, they were just, it was like they needed it, you mm-hmm. know. It was put life back in the community, you know, brought the whole community back to life. And it was just like, they needed it. So, Mm -hmm. you know, every game just meant that much more. Cause it was like, if we lose, then they're going to be sad about this. And they already sad about that. You know, people still were dealing with it. Exactly. It's the pressure that we put on ourselves. Like, man, I think that was some of the best, 
we ever did. Like that was that had to be, mm-hmm. you know. But like man, that whole off season, we, we that was just added motivation and added fuel, and we just was already. You know, we already had a very talented group. We already had a very talented team. You know, we already felt like, man, we should be playing for the national championship. Mm-hmm. You know, but it was just always the one or two games when we slipped up and mm-hmm. let out, you know, let our guard down and mm-hmm. oh, go. But just that season alone, man, it was so important. So winning that championship. And, and, and the crazy thing is, we played. We had a home game versus Boston College that same mm-hmm. year. Yep. We were up, mm-hmm. and they kicked the onside <laughs> kick in the rain. And you, they kicked the onside <laughs> kick in the rain, and I'm waiting for. I'm right there on the front line. I'm waiting for it to bounce up, and that thing and hit that just, wet side and died. Stu- yeah. like, oh, <laughs> I, was, I tried to reach for it and couldn't. I was. Oh, oh man, I was man. hurt. That's crazy. I was so hurt. And we ended up losing it. And Matt Ryan ended up throwing a touchdown. They ended up beating us at home. And that was one of the two games we lost that year. Yep. Wow. And I was so sick. So when we got to that ACC championship in Jacksonville, oh, I was ready to show up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, ain't no way. This is for the ship. <laughs> ain't no way. Man. That's crazy how, like, even however long ago that was, what, 13 years ago or so, like, you can still hear it in your voice. Like, you remember that specific time and how it meant to you at that time. And, man, that's that's pretty wild. Yeah, yeah, it was crazy, man. Um, because I, it was just a crazy situation. Like, I was sick. Yeah. And I remember because that was the only time that ever happened to me. <laughs> Oh man, this thing that hit my hand, and I ain't, I couldn't because there wasn't no bounce or nothing. I couldn't yeah. pull the ball in. <laughs> uh, so, so moving on into the NFL, um, what did the, like? You kind of touched on it uh, earlier, but what did it feel like finally getting drafted? And and did did you have that sense of I made it? Nah, I didn't really feel like I made it until probably like I don't even know. I think I probably felt like I made it. Probably it was probably halfway through the season mm. when I started seeing people like Jerry Rice on the sidelines, mm. and he got called me by my name and stuff. You know, and then it was like that. I was like, "Oh man," you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And he called him to me, coaching me up, calling me by my name, telling me about my that college career and everything. Man, yeah. So when you got the goat standing in your face and he know about you, I was like, "Yeah, dang, I, I made it. All right, I'm here." Yep. Let's go. <laughs> you know, it was situations like that, you yeah. know. But, man, when I got drafted, I was sleeping in bed. Man, I was mad that I didn't get my name called the first day. Yeah, true. My true. grandmother woke me up, told me who it was. I answered the phone. And I was just like, oh, all right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think I got so. I, he said, you ready to be a 49? I said, yeah, coach, I got you. And he said something about Vernon. I was like, Coach, I've been beating him my whole life. <laughs> He's going to be happy for me to be on the team. <laughs> and after that, I probably went back to sleep. And I think I think later on that night, I ended up meeting up with Coach Lawson okay. down K Street Lounge, you know, wow. just to celebrate a little bit. Yeah. Um, do you remember scoring your first NFL touchdown? And if you do, who was it against? And what, what was that feeling like? I think the first one was um, – First one during the regular season was against New York. Mm. It was against the Giants, yeah. 
Okay. I don't know where to say. I just, you know, it was part of the game, honestly. Yeah. I just, it just felt like, man, we needed it to win. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so I have a lot of family in San Francisco, and they're huge 49ers fans. Um, what was it like being drafted there and, and spending your first portion of your career in the Bay Area? And how different was it um, compared to growing up in D.C.? Was there, like, a culture shock at all or anything like that? Man, look, <laughs> it was definitely a culture shock. But, you know, it wasn't too much different. It was just nicer weather, you know. Mm, yeah, true. Bay. You know, even the whole training camp felt like practicing with the AC on. <laughs> Getting drafted out there, man, it was it was crazy. You know, like man, four other people that's from where you from out there, mm. but three other people. You know, when I got drafted out there, Vern was already at mm-hmm. Bowman came after that. Mm. So you got three people from you know the stuff called DNA. Yeah. You're like, man, you know, and that's one of the other moments where you like, man, you know, it just shows you how much stuff really in this area. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, it definitely, man, it was great being out there, man. Mm-hmm. You know, I would I would have never left. I would have never came home. So my grandmother was sick at the time. Mm-hmm. I was the only I left. Wow. Was, you know, my grandmother had the whole dementia situation. It was like she might have had too much longer. Uh-huh. That was the only reason I left. Mm-hmm. I would have stayed Think about it. Two years later, I'm sitting at home, four, four and twelve. <laughs> <laughs> I would never. Yeah. yeah. So uh, going back, um, uh, to when you went to the Redskins, signing with the Redskins, um, was it an easy decision for you wanting to go back home? Because I'm kind of just thinking like what KD was saying, Kevin Durant, how he specifically didn't want to come back home and play for the Wizards because he essentially didn't want to have to deal with all the extra hometown stuff like tickets and being around certain people. Uh, can you speak on how you decided to come back to D.C.? Man, I mean, I mean, basically I just touched on it. Like coming back to D.C., that was more so for my grandmother. She never, she was that old school grandmother. She ain't really travel. She never came to, she never came out to Cali. You know, mm-hmm. she had to get the plane. She wasn't coming. You know, she had to catch the train. She wasn't going. She couldn't drive. She wasn't going to be there. So the only time she really got to see me play was that game, that New York game when I scored my first touchdown. Oh, wow. Okay. And outside of that, um, yeah, she, really, she came down Virginia Tech all the time, but as far as a professional, Mm-hmm. She only saw that one game when I was when I when we came when the Forty Nine ers played in New York, the, mm-hmm. the Giants. Mm-hmm. Other than that, you know, like I said, they they she was suffering from dementia, and they told me she ain't had too much longer left. Mm-hmm. So I was like, man, let me just go home, so you know she could actually okay. see me play. Gotcha. And I could actually spend some real time with her. Yep. Exactly. Um, and, and with the Redskins that season, one of the very few recent seasons that the DMV area felt that magic again in terms of things looking bright for the team and the fans was that year with RG3, uh, uh, RG3's rookie year in 2012. Um, and to be honest, I still, from time to time, look back at old highlights of that season and relive those memories, that one being that uh, famous Monday night football game against the Giants where that uh, RG3 fell backwards on that triple option play <laughs> with you. And, and fumbled the ball right into your hands, and you walked in for that touchdown. It was kind of pretty much a microcosm of how that season went. What what was that season like? 
Man, that season was crazy. Um, for one, because I saw RG three do some stuff that I ain't never seen nobody do. <laughs> you know, I don't know. You know, I I was at least studied Michael Vick. I, I saw him. He put one play where he like dropped the ball a little bit, and Jason Pierre Paul was right there. And he was like playing with him, like he snatched the ball and ran around him, like he was standing still. What? And stuff like that. And wow! But at the same time. Um, I think that season was crazy just because of the injuries we had. Oh, yeah. Like, I was playing, I was still rehabbing from my broken leg the year before with San Fran. When I came here, they didn't really want me to rehab. They just threw me in there. Mm-hmm. Um, Pierre got hurt, what, the second game versus mm-hmm. the Saints, and that kind of bothered him throughout the year. Santana was hurting. Trent Williams was hurting. You know, it was like the owner. And then even RG3 ended up getting hurt, yep. you know, versus the Ravens. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, just going through those injuries and starting out the way we started out and then putting it on at the end, like really winning all them games at the end, that really yeah, that really was just Because even still, you know, it's the end of the season. We pushing for a playoff run. Mm-hmm. We still hurting for real. You know exactly. what I'm saying? I used to have games where, you know, my school used to be poking on my damn foot. I basically <laughs> taking it off in the all season. Wow. You know, and I still end up being the lead receiver that year. Yeah. Uh, there was a situation like, you know, PA to be out there on Still out there working, putting in work. You know what I'm saying? Trent used to be playing with one shoulder sometimes and still out there playing like a pro bowl, mm-hmm. you know, blocking for alpha courts and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So it was just a crazy season, man. It just kind of exactly. showed showed the type of team we really had, man. I just exactly. I know if we would have stayed healthy, we would have went further in the playoffs. If not, won that joint. Exactly. You know, and I definitely, I de- you couldn't tell me. <laughs> RG3 would have stayed healthy. If all of us would have got healthy, you know, throughout the playoffs, man, we would have definitely won it that year. Exactly, exactly. So I do have to ask, especially with you being a D.C. native and that, that how that end of the, uh, end of the season played out, um, what did it feel like beating the Dallas Cowboys at home for the NFC East Championship Division title for the first time since 1999? What was that? What was that night like? Man, I personally wasn't worried about it, man. It was always you know, forget Dallas with me. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, what I'm saying like, I mean, it just felt good to beat them. You know, we mm. beat them twice that year. It felt yep. it felt better to beat them there mm. at their house for they. Yeah. That was a great win too. Yep. Yeah, yeah. That was more fun than actually beating them. You know, it just it felt good to win the you know the NFC East, mm-hmm. but it felt better beating them. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a beat down. It wasn't just a beat. It was it was a crazy win. So moving on with basketball and uh, basketball is what I kind of want to talk about with all the guests that kind of come on here um, just so we can tie everything together with with this organization. And um, like we touched on in the very beginning or around the beginning of this, um, that many people may not know this, but you are (laughs) even to this day really good at basketball. Um, uh, And if I can remember correctly from uh, previous conversation, basketball was your first love before football um, and and how, so how did you ultimately choose football over basketball? Was it just because of that, that Fork Union trip, or did you kind of start leaning towards football, or how did that kind of play out? Um, honestly, again, that came down to my grandmother. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Yeah, my grandmother, um, 
you know, I was sitting there talking to her one day and she she was asking me, you know, what I wanted to do. And I was like, Grandma, you don't know. And I was like, what do you think? You know, and she broke it down, you know, in her own little innocent, sweet way. <laughs> she was like, what? She, she said, baby, <laughs> she said, you be on that basketball court for eight, nine hours a day. And she was like, you still go out there and mess up sometimes. She was like, you be on that football field for about an hour a day. And she was like, you go out there and play person. She was like, from the first time I saw you pick up a football, you just got it. Wow. She was like, I've never seen you had to work as hard as football as you had to do with basketball. And after that, I mean, that was basically it. She was like, she basically, you know, and she, of course, my grandmother being who she is, she turned to biblical. That's how I said, my God-given talent, and mm-hmm. he did it. He put me here to use football as a platform to do what he, you know, to do my purpose in the world. Exactly. Exactly. Once she said that, I was just done. I was like, okay. I said, my basketball career. That's it. Yep. Exactly. Yep. But that's what ultimately made me pick, you know, Mm -hmm. a football scholarship versus a basketball scholarship and started to go on in Virginia Tech. Mm-hmm. Because even when I was at Fort Union, mm-hmm. the old like when all them schools came to recruit me, even Coach Schumann threw out a basketball. He made me know he I ran my forty, and then he threw out a basketball. It was like go 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 show him something, mm. and that's what and and that literally this probably just him being his genius, but it was the Fort Union Combine. I went on my visit and everything. I forgot what I ran in a 40. I probably ran like a 441 or a 4-something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But he threw me a basketball and told me to go out there. And basically, I had my own dunk contest. It's me out there dunking. And all the schools was crowded around me after that. <laughs> wow. And I was like, man, this man is a genius. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny, man. <laughs> yeah, but literally, even like that. Man, my recruitment process always came back to basketball. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Even mm-hmm. the way I play, and that's what I try to teach kids to this day. Just as far as simple stuff like you and bumping and running, you got to get off the line. It's basketball. Mm-hmm. You have to take the key, and you got to get a bucket. Like, yep. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's how I teach you. You know, I, I mean, basketball always going to be my first love. Mm-hmm. And, and, and honestly and truly is what I use to be successful at live out my dream because mm. everything I do on the football field, I can show you what I, me doing it on the basketball court. And that was, again, something that, like I said, my grandmother pointed out that I just wasn't paying any attention to. Because after she said that, I went back and I started watching film. And then I, you know, you know, I used to go back to my old high school and I used to ask coach to like put on some of them old tapes of my basketball games. And I used to be doing the same stuff. Mm. I see me on the basketball court and they'd throw a bad pass and I'd run up and i you know, turn my hands, pinkies, you know, <laughs> together and catch the basketball. And then I'd land right there in the corner to get both feet in. You know, it was just, it was just crazy just watching me because you're like, Man, I'm playing football on the basketball yeah. court. Playing basketball football. on the court. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it was just yeah, it always tied into each other. But you know, it was it was a great thing, man. Yeah, for Definitely sure. Great, like I said, you you learned so many life lessons from it mm-hmm. that it was just like wow, you know. Yep. 
And and that kind of ties in what I was just going to ask you next as far as both sports or just sports in general. Um, growing up, like, how, how has it made you who you are today? And, like, as far as adversities, have what have you had to face and how did you kind of overcome them? Honestly and truly, you every everything the game has showed me as far as basketball, football, like you said, sports in general, mm-hmm. I apply all of it to my life mm. because – everything like it made me everything i am Mm. it's lessons that you can't learn Mm -hmm. you can't learn unless you go through it you know and and on even and and it's crazy sometimes because like i said you know i lost all i lost all five of my best friends you know murdered gun violence and even that situation like i use sports to get me through it you know i use lessons from sports to help me cope with it you Mm. know what i'm saying Mm-hmm. while also using sports as an outlet to deal with it. You get mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Situations like that where it was like, man, really like, and, and again, it's just not about sports. And I never want kids to think like, oh, they have to do sports. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if I didn't play sports, I don't know where I'd be. Yep. If I didn't play sports, I don't know what type of man I would be. Mm. You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, I really don't know. I don't. I, I don't even know if I could call myself a man if I didn't learn the lessons from sports that I learned. Wow. Yeah. Like sports taught me life, you know. And with football, what they always say about football, it's a chess match. Mm-hmm. That, and that chess and that football field took me to the chessboard, and that chessboard is the game of life. Mm. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, it was just like I honestly you don't know what every lesson from the time I picked up a basketball when I was four years old. Hard work, dedication, resilience. Yep. You know? Yep. Mentally tough, physically tough. I'll work the next person. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Are you working hard or are you hardly working? Mm-hmm. Are you hurt or are you injured? You know, it's just all that type of stuff. You know? Yep. You're going to give up? It's fourth quarter. High ball game. You got a minute left. Y'all at the two-minute drill. You ain't, you've been on the field the whole time. What you going to do? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's like that, that it's like, okay, you just lost your job. You got two kids to provide for. Wow. Yep. What you going to do? You going to give up? Nah, yeah. it's fourth quarter. Let's go. Love that. You going to let your kids starve? Nah, I'm going to score this touchdown. We're going to eat. Mm. Taking food off my son's plate. You know, and it's just that whole, it's so many, man, I could go on all day. <laughs> you know, the, the, the different lessons that life teaches you as far as sports can yep. come from But, man, I honestly don't know. I don't, I don't think, I, I I would be locked up a day if it wasn't for this, for this game. That's you know, not yep. personally. Yep. I would be locked up a day. Yeah. Uh, and, and you kind of uh, explained this a little bit as far as when you were a little kid and and you would you would give some of your lunch money to to some to some in need. But when did you start to realize um, when you had a bigger platform than most individuals and you did start to use that positively um, as a role model and to give back? Was that during your college years, even high school, or was that about more into the NFL years? Or around when was that? I um. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. I'm going to be completely transparent. I realized that when I was in middle school, man. Wow. I realized, like, I was a little bit different. Mm-hmm. I realized, like, because everybody used to tell me, like, you know, 
man, you, you got something. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And I knew that once, you know, when we used to be in the streets and when we used to do, you know, when we used to be trying to hang out and stuff like that, and all the OGs would be like, nah, shorty, you go in the house. Mm-hmm. You got something to lose. Go in the house. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? You bigger than this. Go in the house. You better than this. When they start doing that, they started doing that when I was in like the seventh and eighth grade. And that's when I kind of knew, like, I, like, I don't know what they telling me. You know what I'm saying? I kind of, you kind of know, but you don't really know. Yeah. So it was just like, it was just like I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. But at the same time, I knew, like, I knew it was different, and I knew that, like, they telling me something for a reason. But at the same time, they was like. Yeah, like you got too much to lose, man. Go in the house. It was like it's about to get ugly. Like they used to warn me, wow. and that's all they, you know, that's all they used to say. And you know, as a kid, you know, you respect it because they the OGs on the yeah. block. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you still want to be a kid because you like, man. Well, why you ain't tell them to go in the house? <laughs> <laughs> you know, why they don't have to go in the house? And, wow. and, you know, as you get older, you like. Oh, okay. They ain't happy to find the house because they work for you. <laughs> they don't really got nothing else going on. Yeah. So, you know, so it was situations like that that I knew it was kind of different. And I knew, like, I'm not going to say I was better than anybody, mm-hmm. but I knew, like, so they saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. Because mm-hmm. you know? at the end of the day, like, I've always been a humble guy. So at the end of the day, it was just like, it was just like, man. Um, so moving more into basketball, uh, uh, who was your favorite basketball player growing up, and and why was he? Michael Jordan, Michael of course. Jordan. <laughs> I, sh- I should have known that. With uh, every time you come and play ball, it's all Jordan gear. Yeah, MJ <laughs> man, he was my favorite. Um, and after MJ, of course, it was Kobe, and then after Kobe, it was uh, Vince Carter. Vince Carter, that was my wow. top three. Yeah. How about in today's game, who's your favorite? If you if you still watch NBA. Oh yeah, I'm still watching it, you know, and I'm always going to be home to him. Um, he's definitely one of the best, if not the best, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm definitely gonna go KD. Mm. Um, I love Dane Lillard. Yeah. Right. Wow. Oh man, I love watching. <laughs> like I just I love everything about that guy, man. Mm-hmm. And really learning him from being in Oakland, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, Steph Curry, love his game. Still mad, you know. He was supposed to be a hokey. <laughs> wow, what? Yeah, you I know his dad, no idea you know, his, his mother and father were hokies. <laughs> I knew that, but I didn't know that he was gonna go to Tech. <sighs> that would have been man, crazy. His daddy was the best basketball player we had. That's wild how that works out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I just love everything about the way that man played the game. Mm-hmm. I, love, I love how faithful he is to, you know, you know his beliefs and exactly. all that. Exactly. 
Yeah, I love everything about that. But as far as just getting a bucket, man, KD all day. Yep. KD and Giannis. <laughs> oh, man. I, don't, I usually don't like big men, man. Yeah. Giannis, like I said, I, I know his story and I know his why. Exactly. And when you go out there and you hear his story, you can and see you see his why, man, mm-hmm. you just see it. And it's like, wow. Yep. It makes sense, you know? Mm-hmm. And he's the only person I've ever seen who can dunk off a Euro step. That's still so crazy oh, to me. You're right. <laughs> like a step in front of the three-point line. Yeah. And dunk. yeah. So with the NBA restarting full effect, uh, who do you have winning the NBA championship this year? Yeah, that's tough, man. That's tough because it's like, Man, this is up in the air. Like, I'm a Laker fan to mm-hmm. death. This was long before LeBron. Wow, I did not know that. Yeah, this was long before LeBron. This was back when I was a child. Like, after I finished my homework, my homework used to be to watch the Laker game. Like, wow. Johnson, Green, James Worthy, Michael Cooper. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That was my home. <laughs> you know, to watch the Laker game afterwards. So, when it comes to as far as, you know, the Lakers, like, I've always been a Lakers fan. Um, but I just don't know, man. It's like we still missing something more. Yep. Or maybe we just maybe we just not turning it on all the way. Yeah, I don't know. Mm. But you know, seeing us play the Clippers, I was I was nervous. <laughs> <laughs> I was nervous. I was like, man, I don't know. <laughs> maybe next year, you know. <laughs> Those kind of thoughts are coming in my head. Like maybe next year, even if we won, you know. But yeah, right. We we went off like come on, LeBron had what sixteen, then he threw the ball off the rim, got the and rebound, got the game winner. Yeah, so I don't know, man. It's up in the air right now. Yeah, and it's weird too because KD ain't in the final. <laughs> KD ain't in the mix, so it's a little weird. But, yep. Yeah, so I don't know, man. But personally, you know, just being biased, I want the Lakers yeah. to do it. Exactly. Exactly. I'll take that. That's fine. Um, so we'll we'll move on to um, the last portion of of this, and I appreciate again. Thank you for everything that for staying on here and and just having this conversation. Um, we're gonna move on to these quick hitters. So, just these quick questions, and just you can just answer the top of the head and just just go at it. Um, gotcha. um, if you were in the NBA, who do you feel resembles your game if you were to play in the NBA? Mm, who do I feel? Man, of course, ever since Zion, people been saying Zion. <laughs> but before that, man, I think I was more like a. Who could I say? That's tough. I think honestly, I think I'm more like a Russell Westbrook. <laughs> yeah, I was just gonna say that. Yeah, I was literally just gonna say that. I think I always been. Same attitude, same mentality, and everything. Mm-hmm. I was I gonna I'm, say jump shots a little better, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely. But definitely, uh, Russell Westbrook, man. I just always been my mindset. Yep. Uh, for for the sake of the question, I we already know the answer. But who is your basketball goat? MJ. MJ, got it. Yep. I mean, I, I just want to throw it out there. <laughs> yeah, MJ. And who is a wide receiver that you try to emulate on the field? Honestly and truly, man, I wanted man, look, it was a mixture. Mm-hmm. I wanted to get in and out my breaks like Jerry Rice and have his success. Mm-hmm. But I had like a T.O. body. Yep. But I had Randy Moss like athletic ability. Wow. 
So I just tried to emulate all of them, mm-hmm. but I just wasn't lucky enough to have a consistent quarterback like they had. Yeah. I had a different quarterback every year I played football since high school. Wow. Never had the same quarterback two years in a row. That's From craziness. Old college career and whole NFL career. Like literally. College, my first year was Brian Randall. Second year was Marcus Vick. Third year was Sean Glenn. And last year was Tyrod Taylor. That's crazy because no wonder when I was looking at, like, it was a while back, uh, watching some of your old tape, like, every time I'd see a highlight, it's a different quarterback throwing it to you. <laughs> I always wondered that. <laughs> well, it was a different quarterback every year. Not only was it a different quarterback, but it was a different head coach, a different offensive coordinator in the NFL, everything. Yeah. Wow. It was crazy. Yeah. You know, I'd be, I, and I, and I used to, you know, I'm not really a betting man, but I used to be bet, I used to bet people all the time. I used to say, like, I bet you can't name who my start quarterback was. <laughs> and uh, nobody ever get it right, man. And I used to like win so much money, but I always give it back to him. I, like, <laughs> I just want you to understand my NFL career. <laughs> yeah, all. no, that's 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 funny. That's yeah, good. People don't understand how hard it is when you don't have no type of consistency in the league, man. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. why the same teams usually always in the pitcher and always win. Mm. But like my, my 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 rookie year, my my the starting quarterback was J.T. O'Sullivan. Wow, I was gonna say Sean Hill or something. No, nah, Sean Hill was the next year. Oh, okay. Wow. Then after that, Alex was kind of healthy, but then he got injured, and it was Sean again. Wow, got it. Yeah, it was crazy. And then after that, it was Troy Smith. Troy Smith, Ohio State. Dang, crazy. Like. <laughs> so, who is your wide receiver goat? Why we choose one? Jerry mm-hmm. Rice. Jerry Rice, okay. I thought it was gonna be a little tougher with throwing Randy Moss or someone in there, but no, nah, I mean Randy Moss definitely was the most talented. I think. but uh, as far as the goat, man, the goat, the goat, Jerry Rice, man. <laughs> Numbers don't lie. You know, the hard work, the dedication ain't lie. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean Randy Moss definitely was the most talented. God. Like that's my top three. Jerry Rice, Randy Moss, Tia. Wow. God. That's my three all the time. And I, you know, I done played with some goats like Isaac Bruce. Mm-hmm. But, man, who, who, nobody was more talented than Randy Moss. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Like he, he was the same way as me. You know what I'm saying? He could have he could have went and played basketball, D1. You know, he could have been in the NBA for it. Yep. But, Jerry Rice, man, just that hard work. Like he wasn't even a fast guy, but how many times you see him get caught from behind? <laughs> that's that's so true. Wow, I didn't even think about that. And you know, people always say, "Oh, but he played with the best quarterbacks ever." All right, uh, yeah, he played with Joe Montana. He played with Steve Young. Okay, he also had T.O. right there, was still a goat. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He also had John Taylor right there, was still a goat, mm-hmm. still a dog. You know, he was still top dog. Mm-hmm. So, and, and who knows? Why. Maybe, I mean, they don't give credit to Jerry Rice. Maybe Jerry Rice is the one who made them as good as they are. So, Facts. <laughs> but, but you always know a dog. And honestly, as a player, you always know a dog with other dogs that can go anywhere. Like, he playing with other dogs that can go anywhere to mm-hmm. another team and be the man. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And you still top dogs over these dogs. <laughs> you know? And not to pat myself on the back, but that's that's how it used to be in V Tech. Like we always had 
receivers. Yep. We always had talent from David Clowney, Eddie Roy, Justin Harper, Josh Hyman. We had guns. Yeah. And that's and that's you know, you touched on that earlier, but that's how I knew like I you know, I probably could really play and I say it would be successful. Mm, yeah. Because we had dogs always. Yeah. But when we left, when it was all said and done, my numbers was top dog. <laughs> I was like, oh, hold up. Like, I, I can do it. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> you know? So with, with kind of what you were saying, who was the most most athletic player you've ever played with or played against? Honest. Oh, played against, man. Either or. With, play with Jimmy Williams, man. Jimmy Williams. So the guy who was wearing your number. Jimmy Williams was 6'3". He ran a 4'37". Long arms, like a safety. You, you, usually people go from what? Corner. And then once they get older, get a little slow transition to safety. Yeah. Jimmy started at safety and transitioned to corner. <laughs> and made, made what? All ACC, all American. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Wow, forty-seven to hoop. Dang, to hoop. I'm talking <laughs> about a bucket. Wow, every everything. Man, I was just like, man, I ain't nothing like it. A six-three corner running a four-three-seven to jump. Got the safety mentality. He going to hit you. He ain't shying away. Don't tackle nothing. Yeah. Oh, man, bro, hips, everything. <laughs> I'm like, oh, man. That's, like, that's crazy. And again, that just go back to us and all the talent we had. Like, man, and I know everybody always, all, everybody want to be DBU, but, man, we done had some DBs. From mm. D. Jimmy Williams, Eric Green, to Brandon Flowers, to uh, to, to the Fuller, Kyle Fuller. Yep. Like, yep. Going against these guys every day for four years, <laughs> you better be good. <laughs> now that you, you named all those tech people, who is your favorite teammate of all time? And this could be in the NFL as well. Oh, man. Hands down, it'll probably Frank Gore, Isaac Brooks, man. Wow. That's crazy. Probably Frank Gore's still doing it. Yeah, Frank Gore's still doing it, man. But I. <laughs> Ever had a guy like he's he all passion, all heart, man. Mm. Like, you know what I'm saying? You you look at his body, you look at him, and you just be like, how? <laughs> For real. You just be like, how? And then you go down to it, you know, and I love all my teammates. Don't yeah, get me for sure. For sure. You go down to it, man, and you just and that guy all passion, all heart. Old school too. Ain't got nothing ain't, ain't got nothing on but his page. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> That's like Lordly, don't got no shirt under his shoulder pads, nothing. Just straight <laughs> shoulder pads and pants. Let's go. Let's wow. You know what I'm saying? That's it's funny. Work. No matter what. Never seen him take a day off. Isaac Bruce was like the godfather out there, man. Ah. He had the deepest conversation with him. He whispered the whole time. Josh. You know what I'm saying? But he was always challenging, trying to help you grow. Yeah. Definitely the greatest receiver I ever played with. Nice. Um, the, the most underrated player you've ever played against? Underrated player I ever played against? Hmm. 
Or or played with if that helps a lot. Now played with, I really don't think people will ever understand. Again, going back to Jimmy Williams, I don't think people will ever understand how man was. Yeah. Like this man great for real, and you know what I'm saying. Of course, he got in that trouble, you know, and just couldn't put the weed down. Mm -hmm. Nobody got to see him playing the pros, but yeah. Man, he he was great, and um, outside of that, I mean, of course, he's not underrated now. But just saying the whole transition with Cam Chancellor, mm. you know, a lot of people forget Cam Chancellor came to Virginia Tech as a quarterback. Wow, that I did not know. Yes, he was Tyrod Taylor backup. Wow, and they told him like, look, <laughs> you might not play, you know, with this guy. Yeah. Um, unless he get hurt, so so he might think about trying out a different position. So to see come to Virginia Tech as a quarterback and transition into who he who he finished out his career to be, it was just like wow, you know. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It was crazy. And also another, and I'm not being biased on the Virginia Tech guy, but we <laughs> Wayne Brown. Yeah. You know, you know, it was a tight end. And they yeah, I remember you telling me that. I was like, what? He was a tight end? Now he's one of, he was one of the top uh, left tackles in the league? That's that's crazy. Yeah. So just seeing those two guys and that whole transition and seeing them go from basically being in a position where they're not probably really going to play and they definitely wouldn't have made the NFL at those positions mm-hmm. to, to now they, you know, top guys in the NFL and, Different position. Oh my God. It was just a great thing to see. Yeah. Uh, who was the toughest DB you ever played against? And I'll say you can't say Darryl Jimmy Reeves. Williams this time. <laughs> nah, Darrell Reeves. Darrell Reeves? Got you. Yeah. Nice. Uh, who yeah. gave you Who gave you the hardest hit you've ever taken on the field? Florida State versus VTech. Who Who did you say it was? Ernie Sanders. Was this the one that you were talking about? You did that one slant? Yep. Marcus Vick down. <laughs> it was supposed to be like a seven-yard gain. It ended up being like a three-yard gain. <laughs> <laughs> he, yeah, he had a head start. They was in Tampa, too. Man. That's wild. So that slant was wide open. Uh-uh. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, and you touched this on touched on this before. Um, so, out of all the quarterbacks you've ever played with, uh, which one sticks out to you that had the most or the best arm talent? Ooh, hands down, I would say Marcus Vick. Marcus Vick, wow! Man, the way he used to throw that ball, mm-hmm. I just knew we was gonna win it. I just knew we were. Wow. Uh, and uh, this is kind of moving forward as far as the coaching staff. And like you said, you, you, you've you been with a lot of coaching staff. Um, so I'm asking this next one because you've played for some great coaches in your career. Um, and you were also part of that Redskins team that had Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, Matt LaFleur, all, all head coaches in the NFL, all on the sidelines with you, got, with you um, in D.C. during your time there. Um, who was the smartest coach you've ever played for? Jim Harbaugh. Wow. Hands down, Jim Harbaugh. Anything particular, like for that reason? Why, like, was it the X's and O's? Was it getting uh, 
it was people going. It was it was X's and O's. He knew how to talk to you. He knew how to motivate you. He was a player, mm. you know, that played the game that understood his teammates. I mean, understood his team, mm-hmm. and he understood how to use. He understood how to put guys in the right position, so they can go be great and do what they do best. Wow. And he used to have us practice and stuff. And I used to be like, Coach, why are we doing it? Like, what it like? You know what I'm saying? He used to, all right, we're gonna put three linemen outside the tight end, and we're gonna line up like this. And when we do this, the team's gonna check to this. And when oh. they check to this, the tight end's gonna be wide open running down the middle of the field. And we're getting the game and it actually happens. Running wide open, just like you said, because they mess up the count or do something. And Vernon running down the middle of the field wide open score a touchdown. Dang. That's you know, crazy. stuff like that. Or, you know, we used to unbalance line to kind of disguise Joe Staley. Mm-hmm. Next thing you know, we run the play and Joe Staley catching the ball for a first down. <laughs> and Coach Hallball called it in practice on a Wednesday. Wow. You know, and it used to be stuff like that. I used to be like, man, I don't, I don't know what's going on, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, I like <laughs> you know, he understood the team. And he just understood everybody. He just put everything together. Mm-hmm. You know, exactly. Uh, who was your favorite DC athlete of all time? So DC, like DMV, all that area, the whole area. DC all time. I I, I would biasly say Lem Bias, mm-hmm. but I honestly saw tape of him. Mm-hmm. But a guy I really like saw, and honestly, people not going. I don't know, but I don't care. He was always my favorite, man. Mm-hmm. Steve Francis, man. Yes, a franchise. franchise. Yep. Uh, they they used to call me the franchise. Like man, I used to love watching that man play yep. all throughout his career, man. Yep. Be my Got it. Uh, favorite spot in DC to grab a bite. To grab a bite to eat. Mm-hmm. Mm. One Joe's. Joe's on 15th. Joe's? Joe's seafood, uh, seafood joint. Mm, okay. Or if I want some soul food, I'm going to go to Oohs and Oz. Oohs and Oz. I've heard Oohs and Oz. I haven't heard Joe's before. but Yeah, Joe's one of them so-called high-end restaurants. Mm, okay. <laughs> Maybe that's the reason why. <laughs> the food good. I that's funny because I remember we were talking when you were with when you were still training Reese, and we were talking about nutrition and food and stuff. And you were saying like how you just kind of just went to more seafood stuff, and then I was like, man, I gotta do that too. And then you're like, yeah, just like lobster tails, and cra-. I was like, ah, yeah, maybe I can't do that. Because <laughs> you were saying eating all that protein and stuff was making you look like a linebacker, so you had to switch it up a little bit. <laughs> definitely, man. Definitely. <laughs> Slow down on the steak and potatoes and start <laughs> eating more like a pescatarian. Yep. And this last question, this is a, this is a question I'm going to ask everybody who hops on the pod. Um, in your opinion, is a hot dog a sandwich, and why do you think so? See, I'm from D.C., man. So in my opinion, a hot dog is a glizzy. <laughs> <laughs> we don't do glizzy. <laughs> you put that glizzy in your mouth. Everybody, camera, you all over the ground, everything. <laughs> we can't do the glizzy. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, where I'm from, nah, that's a, that's a technical style. <laughs> glizzy game. 
Oh man, uh, we we can leave it at that. That's, 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 yeah, that's you would not catch me with that, man. <laughs> Even oh, back man. in the as a child, the only way I ate a hot dog is if my grandmother cut it up and mixed it in the <laughs> Oh man, that is funny. That is funny. Um, but all right, so I mean, before I let you go, can you give the listeners um, a favorite quote or a piece of advice that you kind of just share for them? I just want y'all to never give up, man, because mm. through life, you're going to go through a lot of trials and tribulations, man. You're going to have to overcome a lot of things. Nothing in your life is going to be easy. Um, you're going to want to give up. You're going. It's going to be nice when you cry. It's going to be nice when you just, it's going to be plenty of nice where it's going to be God, why me? You know, mm. if you believe in God, or it's going to be plenty of nice where you just question everything. And at the end of the day, through it all, just try to always, always remember your why. Because mm. when you remember your why, it, it bring everything back full circle. Mm-hmm. And it bring everything back. And you just, it, you, like my why reminded me so much. Just don't give up. Mm-hmm. Just don't quit. You got it. It won't be all right. You oh, know, yeah. don't ever let a hard time humble you, man. Just mm-hmm. go, mm-hmm. you know. Just grind. Remember why you started doing it. Remember why you do it. Remember mm-hmm. who you want it for. Remember why you're doing it. And, and and that's the one thing that I really want. Like I know it's sound cliche, but I swear it works. Mm-hmm. It works. Because it'd be times even even when you you know you want to party, you know, I done made mistakes, trust me. Mm-hmm. I done made plenty. And I want people to learn from my mistakes as well. Mm-hmm. But it be times where you want to party, where you want to do this. And even in those moments where you feel like you're about to do something stupid, you just got to always, like, snap back into it and remember your why. Mm-hmm. Like, look, bro, that's why we started it. This is what our goals are. This is what we doing. This is why we doing it. Let's go. Snap back in. Focus up. Mm-hmm. Lock in. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's just always stuff like that that you just constantly, constantly have to remember. And you, ha- you have to be obsessive about it. Mm-hmm. And when you become obsessive about it, it won't let you, like, your why won't let you fail. Mm-hmm. Your why won't let you do nothing stupid. Your why won't let you quit. Exactly. It won't. It mm-hmm. will not let you quit. It won't let you, it won't let you be lazy. Mm-hmm. It won't let you give up. It won't let you waste time. Mm. So if I got anything for the, if I got that, man, just know your why, hold on to your why, obsess over your why, and don't ever, ever, ever let nobody take food off your plate. Mm. Ever. Mm. Love that. Um, but yeah, so I, I can't thank you enough for hopping on this pod with me. Uh, like I always tell you, you're a big role model of mine, and and I'm blessed to have a friend like you as, as someone to look up to and, and make a positive impact, uh, not only in my life but the countless others you have you have positively affected. Um, a lot of people talk the talk, but you are one of the very few um, who who actually walk the walk along with it. And like on behalf of the DMV community, the San Francisco community, all everyone that you that you've positively um, affected, I just want to say thank you for everything. Man, thank you, man. I truly appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And you keep doing everything you're doing too, man. It's definitely been a blessing to see. I appreciate that. 
Um, you can follow Josh on Instagram at Joshua Morgan Sr. Um, thank you again. I, I hope you and your family continue to stay healthy and safe out there. Um, and I hope to link up with you again soon. I appreciate you, Josh. I appreciate you too, and All thank right. you. Definitely yep. praying for you and your family as well. God, I appreciate it. Have a good one. You too.